You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Welcome to a special member drive edition of the Strong Towns podcast. My name is Daniel Harrigus, taking over for Chuck Marone today uh, with something a little different. Because we've noticed over the years at Strong Towns that our message really particularly resonates with the up and coming generation of professionals who work on issues relating to the built environment. So, city planners, civil engineers, public policy students. There's a lot of enthusiasm out there for what we're talking about. And thanks to the incredible support of our members, we're really getting this message out there. And it's really embedding itself in how this up-and-coming generation thinks about how we plan and build strong places. So I was super excited to get to put together this discussion because I was recently a master's student in urban planning myself. I got my master's in planning a couple years ago from the University of Minnesota from the same program that our founder Chuck Marone graduated from. And so I've got some of my own ideas about the relevance of the Strong Towns conversation to this new generation of planners. Um, But I have three guests on with me today, and I want to hear what they have to say. So I'm going to have them each introduce themselves, uh, starting with Sarah Brown. Okay. Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah Brown, and I'm currently a master student in the City and Regional Planning Program at UNC Chapel Hill um, within the Transportation Specialization. I'll be graduating in May 2021, and I'm also a research assistant at the UNC Highway Safety Research Center, and I hold undergraduate degrees in civil engineering and professional writing from Worcester Polytechnic Institute in Massachusetts. Very cool. Um, How about you, Alex? Yeah, sure. Uh, So Alex Nichols, I'm originally from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, I am a master's in public policy student at Duke University, really focusing on the intersection of uh, urban design and planning and um, economic development and how all these pieces kind of come together to um, create resilient communities. And last but not least, we have Andrew Holt with us today. Andrew, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. My name's Andrew Holt. I am a traffic and ITS engineer full-time, so my undergrad was in civil engineering from the University of Notre Dame, and then now I'm a part-time planning student at night at Temple University, and I should be graduating in May 2022. Um, But so a lot of the strong towns ideas are something that I really um, have experienced personally between a civil engineer and a planner in training. Yeah, and Andrew, I know that you um, first came to our attention on the staff here because you wrote an interesting paper for a course um, about Strong Towns. Can you describe what that was? Sure, yeah. So last semester, we had a a, uh, project on a planning pioneer. And so a lot of people usually do Jane Jacobs, Daniel Burnham, a lot of the classics. And so I asked my professor if I could do um, this guy who I read about on a blog called Chuck Marone, and he had no idea who he was. So <laughs> he's like, sure, go ahead. But if it, if it stinks, I'm going to give you a bad grade. And if I don't, if uh, you can't prove it, then uh, he's, uh, you're going to get a bad grade. But it was a great challenge. And so I dug into it and I was trying to prove why Chuck Marone and why his ideas 
behind strong towns are really kind of a next phase of planning and why they're really important for now and in the future. And you, you successfully made the case to your professor that, that Chuck is a planning pioneer. I did. I did. He gave me a good grade, so it all worked out. Awesome. So anecdotally, it's been our experience that the, the ideas we talk about have a lot of currency, especially with kind of an up-and-coming generation of people who deal with the built environment, deal with infrastructure, civil engineering. Um, Chuck likes to share an anecdote, and I will relate it here and then um, ask, ask you guys, you know, what experiences you've had like this, if any. But um, Chuck says he, so there's an old video, like really old, from the very earliest days of the Strong Towns blog called Conversation with an Engineer. And it's one of those, um, it, it, the, the ridiculous kind of two bears talking, and it's a synthesized voice, and it's excruciatingly slow to listen to. But it went viral on YouTube back in like 2010. Um, and Chuck would show that video in talks to an audience full of engineers. And the joke in the video is that engineers kind of have this self-referential ideology about like everything has to meet the standard. And it's safe because it meets the standard. And well, by definition, the standard is safe. And this engineer is talking to a homeowner whose street is about to be widened, who's just absolutely bewildered and increasingly upset. And Chuck will show this to a room full of civil engineers, and he says the same thing happens every time, which is that everyone in the room who is under about 40 years old is laughing, and they're smiling, and they're high-fiving each other. And everyone in the room who is an older kind of veteran engineer is just sitting there stone-faced <laughs> with their arms crossed, like, I don't get it. Um, and so I'm wondering, um, especially those of you who are in, you know, fields adjacent to that, whether you've whether this rings true to you or whether you've had experiences like that. Yeah, I'll let uh, Sarah and Andrew go first since they're probably uh, closer to that situation, but I've certainly had some experiences I could touch on as well. Sure, go ahead, Sarah. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, um, I do, like, at HSRC, we talk a lot about safe systems um, and designing for appropriate speeds and keeping in mind like, human vulnerability and people make mistakes and really creating a system that protects us. Um, and so I can speak to that because I think in a lot of the, the ITE forums and how the older generation kind of talks about that, it's like they're designing a system with the optimum number of deaths and fatalities and serious inju injuries like there's an optimum number that we're meeting and, you know, that's the system we're designing for. And it's, you know, not, we can't statistically ever, you know, get to vision zero, like it's just not possible. But then in other, you know, in safe systems framing, it's like the idea that we're working to eliminate those fatalities and serious injuries and that no deaths are acceptable. And it's like this difference in the rhetoric, a difference in the framing, which creates the different um, measures and contributing factors in how, traditional engineering in the US has evolved in the measures that we hold against safety, which is usually capacity, level of service, um, efficiency, to create that in the effects that has on speed while in safe systems, it's really, you know, speed is, you know, one of the biggest factors and we can't have mobility if our speeds aren't appropriate and we're not designing something that's safe for all users that's involved, so. Yeah, and building on what Sarah said, I think that a lot of times the 
older generation, their hearts are not in a bad place. I think that from the way they were trained and the way they were brought up, like they're meeting the metrics, I think that they were trained on. But now I think the younger generation is kind of seeing that those metrics are not necessarily producing the right outcomes that we want. They're not creating stronger communities. They're not make, they're not safe. They're not as quite reaching the level as what we want. And so I think when you're, when you spend 20 years doing things a certain way, it's really hard to change and to really see um, something different like that. When you think you're, you're doing the right thing, you're following the standards, you're doing everything you think it's supposed to be. So I, I don't think it, they're bad or there's any, like they believe they're doing anything wrong. I think it's just part of that generational divide that I think happens in a lot of disciplines. Yeah, and I'll say on my end of things, coming from a uh, kind of a broader policy perspective, you know, um, my my peers in my cohort are interested in everything from international development to sustainability, um, on and on and on, whatever public policy touches, which is just about everything, there's someone with an interest in it. I'd say whenever I kind of bring these concepts to the table, um, both my peers and professors, I'd say, are very... Uh, open to the ideas. It's, uh, I think it's more so a, um, as Andrew and Sarah touched on, like an incentives uh, problem in that people are kind of trapped into a system where they uh, feel like, yes, it, it, this sounds like a great plan, but then when it comes to making that actual next decision, um, it's kind of right back into the system that's been built up over time. Um, that kind of perpetuates the status quo. Um, so yeah, I, I think people are more aware of the conversation, um, more interested in the strong talents approach. I think it's, um, yeah, it's again, it's just uh, kind of building a, um, a collective understanding to the point where there's like a mass of individuals who are supporting it and can kind of, um, it's no longer pushing a, the, the boulder uphill, but there's some momentum and a bit of a snowball effect. One thing that I um, felt very strongly in my master's program was um, I think people who are going into, especially urban planning as a field is the one I can speak to. There's a lot of impatience. You know, we've, we've grown up with this built environment that was bequeathed to us that, you know, increasingly we can all kind of see that it's messed up. You know, there, there weren't a lot of people in, in my classes who were really vociferous defenders of everything about the suburban experiment and the wide roads and the, uh, the parking minimums and all of that. There were people who were more or less like, you know, I live in the suburbs. I like my big yard. I like that environment. But, you know, there, were, there was a spectrum of opinion in terms of personal preference. But I think the prevailing opinion was man, as a profession, we've, we've messed up a lot of stuff and we need, to, we need to start undoing this and we need to undo it quickly. You know, there's an urgency there, um, whether it's crumbling infrastructure or whether it's environmental concerns, climate concerns. But, um, and that impatience was really interesting to me because I didn't always see it reflected in the answers we were getting in our curriculum um, for how do you solve these problems? You know, there was lip service to it. Like I took a neighborhood revitalization course and the first reading we were assigned in the first week was this incredibly depressing essay about how the community development um, profession in the U.S. has been spinning its wheels for something like 70 years. And it, like it basically started out with, you know, the, um, the executive summary was like, yeah, everything we've tried has failed. 
<laughs> We've been talking about neighborhood revitalization in the same ways since the 1930s, 1940s, and everything we've tried has failed. And like planning as a mm -hmm. profession, planners are really good at kind of like self-flagellating about that kind of thing. Like there, there's a lot of, no, no one is quicker to tell you about everything that is wrong with urban planning than an urban planner. Um, but I think, so I would hear like from my classmates in casual conversation, a lot of them read Strong Towns. A lot of them were into things like the Yimby movement as well. And there was a lot of impatience like, we know how to build great places. We've been doing it for centuries. We need to get out of the way. And it's a weird thing for planners to say that planners should get out of the way, but there was a lot of that. And, but we didn't always get that from, from the curriculum. You know, how, how do we actually do planning in response to these very valid critiques of planning as an endeavor? Um, so I'm, my kind of open-ended question for anyone to jump in on, you know, either, either anything that has been said already or whether you feel a kind of disconnect where there's something you really wished would have been brought up in your classes. There's something you really wished your professors talked about that wasn't quite there. I think that, um, that, yeah, I feel a little bit the same way. Like I think the planners, the past, like we've, we see all the mistakes that we've made and we are, trying to make it right but I think that like I'll read something that from like 20 or 30 years ago and I feel like I see a lot of the same solutions and a lot of the same ideas as these papers from like 20 years ago like new urbanism like anti-suburban sprawl and so I think that trying to relate those intentions and like idealized visions into action and into actually seeing it on the street and like people actually implementing this in our neighborhood has been a big disconnect and so I think that like things like the Yimby movement and like what Strong Towns are proposing seem to finally be kind of connecting like the ideal versus like what we have right now. I, I, I can say one specific thing that we talk about a lot at Strong Towns that didn't make its way into my coursework at all was tactical urbanism. There was there was no mention of it um, and granted I went to a very public policy focused planning school not really like an urban design hands-on one, but still, I was just kind of like, you know, we're, I'm taking a class on transportation, I'm taking a class on land use planning, and there's no mention of what I think is one of the most important movements in dealing with transportation and land use, like, of the last 10, 15 years. Um, I'm curious, Sarah, from, you look like you're opening your mouth, but with yeah, the civil engineering background. Um, so yeah, during my civil engineering undergrad, my senior capstone project, I did a tactical urbanism project. Um, and that was kind of, it was my senior year and the summer before is when I was actually introduced to strong towns and really got on this like transportation wave. Like, I just really felt that this was just the way that I was going to go. Um, and strong towns really introduced me to the idea of forgiving speeds and the ability that we have as designers to make spaces comfortable for others and safe. Um, and so in Worcester, Mass, I did a tactical urbanism demonstration project combined with the Safe Routes to School initiative at this Title I school in the city where kids um, aren't provided bus transportation um, and they have to bike or walk to school or get dropped off. Um, and the project was really aiming to reduce the speed of vehicles in the school zone and help the community take back their space. And I think reflecting back on this is kind of where I see like the incrementalism and the anti-fragility that Strong Towns talks about. And something that really sticks out to me 
is this new four-step um, process that Chuck often talks about. It's like that you just humbly observe where people in the community are struggling um, and you try to do some the next smallest thing that you can do to address that struggle and then you just do it and you just repeat it and you keep doing it and so that's kind of the approach I was taking with my tactical urbanism it's just we don't have all the right answers and we don't have any funding but that's okay we're still gonna you know we're gonna experiment we're gonna try and we're gonna try to move forward um, because it's really important when children are the most vulnerable road user and as designers I think when you design for your most vulnerable it, everyone else is safe as a result. I can jump in there as well maybe you know in my situation uh, I don't have any courses per se that are directly directed towards towards planning that's that's something I plan on seeking out and um, Sir, I should actually, I, I'm planning on taking a course uh, down on UNC this next semester, so that could be fun. Um, but I think something that has resonated with me has been, because I've had to seek it out, um, well, I'll say this, something that's really resonated with me in Chuck's writing and in Strong Towns in general has been this, we need different uh, mental models and ways of viewing the world. Um, we need to understand um, that the world's really complex. And so I've tried to take, you know, just in my pursuit of um, better understanding policy making, tried to pursue classes like um, uh, behavioral economics and kind of human-centered design. And um, I'm taking a class this next semester in the theology of placemaking, um, which should be really interesting. But I, it's just sort of this, uh, I, I think it's, it's the whole idea that uh, the more viewpoints we can surround ourselves with, the less fragile we'll be in um, creating our own confirmation bias and what we believe is doable and what's appropriate, um, but really trying to uh, purposefully slow ourselves down to ask uh, hard questions and realize that they're far more complex than we could ever imagine and that therefore like the incremental approach makes all the more sense. I'm, I'm fascinated by the theology of placemaking as someone who has never been religious and has never taken much interest in theology. Just the fact that that course exists, I'm going to have to right. follow up with you once you've yeah. taken it. That, that's really cool. I think, um, and that's one thing that Strong Towns has done for me, like, or one thing that resonated with me from the beginning when I started reading the blog years ago was this really big picture kind of, that it's not just a story about infrastructure and roads and whatnot. It's a story about sort of our, our foibles as humans mm -hmm. and the anti-fragility of the past of building on centuries of tradition, centuries of evolution in how we do things and trying to learn from what has worked before throwing away the rule book. Mm -hmm. That's something that even if I hadn't gone to work here, I would have taken with me um, in my in my studies in urban planning and you know whatever else I might have done or might still end up doing in that field. Right. Um, so that leads me to kind of my last question for for the gallery here, which is, how does the Strong Towns vision influence how you personally plan to go about your work in the future or what you would like to do with your career? Uh, yeah, so before choosing to go to public policy school, I was actually considering uh, either going to get an MBA or going uh, 
going straight into starting my own business of some sort, whatever it may be. Um, I actually decided to pursue public policy school, um, A, because of that reason we just talked about, kind of having a plurality of ideas um, to help um, protect from my own, my own biases. Um, but also just recognizing that there's still, um, there's still this idea that more is better. We can, we can solve uh, the um, complexity with the right tool sets, um, a very top-down approach. And so there's still just not, uh, there's still a lot of people that um, aren't familiar with, you know, I think what I think what I'm coming to realize is like a very a local life is a very satisfying life. That's something I'd like to perpetuate in whatever I do. Um, and so I I very well could see myself going into starting a small business after after school. I think um, I think the uh, the public policy degree gives me a platform of some sort to be able to to spread these ideas with hopefully some more legitimacy. Um, and I, you know, I very well may be working in the public space, but whatever it is, I think it's encouraging uh, people to to be rooted where they are. Um, and I think that's really what you know. I think that's a major takeaway for me for what Strong Tones is really about is being being present and local and um, making decisions on behalf of the place that you know the place that you live. Um, so. More, more decisions to come on my end of things, but uh, hopefully we'll find some way to implement um, these ideas down the road. Going off of that and the focus on community, I think where I'm going in my career is definitely more of the mobility justice side of things in transportation. Um, and I'm always looking for new ways to that engineers can be held accountable to how we design things and who we're designing for. And I think within the space that I want to take up, it's about continuing to unpack the definition of safety and what that means to different communities um, locally. Um, and about how it should address all different types of barriers, especially socioeconomic ones, discriminatory ones, physical ones, his, um, communities that have been historically underserved by systemic racism or oppression. Um, and really recognizing the ways that the built environment shapes life for them and how they move around the space. Um, so yeah, continuing to take the strong town's ideals of community and safety and kind of just, yeah, continuing to unpack that in transportation. Yeah, does that interest and that focus, do you feel like that makes you an outlier among your engineering cohort or is there really growing interest in those mobility justice issues. Yeah, so I recently attended Untokening Durham. I'm not sure if anyone's super familiar with that initiative, but it's um, a multiracial collective that centers the lived experiences of Black, Indigenous, and people of color that are working in mobility advocacy and planning and policy spaces. Um, and we recently had it in Durham, North Carolina a month ago, um, and we had speakers from all around the country come um, and so this is a huge topic and there are a lot of people that are doing really creative, local, community-based design and really pushing um, to bring the mobility justice lens into our planning and engineering world. Um, and so I kind of, I don't feel alone in that sense that I did get to attend um, that event and really connect with um, 
people who are doing really amazing work um, and just being in a safe space talking about those types of topics. And um, I learned so much rhetoric from them and how I can continue that, you know, in consulting in the future. Sure. Well, I don't think my future plans is now are as noble or as cool as uh, what Sarah just said, but I think just uh, I want to integrate well, the strong counts ideas I want to take it away are that that planners and engineers don't know as much as we think we do. And that's something that we have to acknowledge that like cities are complex, complex systems and that we need to start small and we need to talk to communities and we need to start at the local level if we really are going to make change and we're really going to create systems and transportation systems that are really great for communities and people who use them and not just uh, at a conference or at ideas that they're really great for our communities. Hey, one last closing thought, and um, I don't know if anyone has a kind of a ready answer to this, but is there anything, you know, as the representative of the Strongtown staff here, is there anything that we as an organization should be doing that we're not doing yet that would really help us break through in academia or break through in helping to educate the next generation of people who are solving these urban problems? I just think students are such a valuable resource because we have so much space to be loud. Um, we're not exactly practitioners yet. And so we do have a lot of space where we can kind of ask for forgiveness. Um, and I think we should, you know, really be mobilizing our students to do cool things, to do more tactical urbanism, to really be those people who step forward um, in ways that practitioners or people who work, you know, in the public sector or private sector can't. Um, yeah, I think that would I be cool. I love that. The <laughs> students have the space to be loud. That's, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to quote that because that's awesome. <laughs> uh, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. Um, and I was, you know, I wasn't working for Strong Towns at the time, but I was writing for Strong Towns while I was in grad school. And it was really heartening to me to see planning students, public policy students, engineering students really pushing forward the way we think about how we build strong and resilient places. Um, and I see that in all three of you. And I want to thank you all for joining me for this chat. Um, it's been a lot of fun. And to everyone watching out there, uh, you know this, it's our member drive this week. And your support is how we get the message out as broadly as we can and build a movement of millions of people who care. So thank you. Um, and thanks to you, Sarah, Alex, Andrew, for joining me. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. All right. Bye, everybody. Taking risk is a necessity to becoming rich. It's also a necessity to go bankrupt. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Just to echo what you said, there are no silver bullet solutions. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made this city? window is not always open, but if nobody's pushing, then once the window opens, there'll be no chance to go through.
I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah.